deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors. And I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate. And follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals, or you can follow up with your investors. And you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners, then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Followup Boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial, twice the length of the normal trial. For a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. You can figure out whatever your metrics are, but you got to make sure that you actually just stay true to them because your spreadsheet can give you any answer you want, but you've got to actually figure out how far you're willing to push things and stay consistent with that answer if you want to have the results that you're going to have. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Kim Radiker Bays. Kim is joining us from South Lake, Texas. She's the founder and principal of Exponential Property Group, a multifamily investment firm that has bought and sold over 9,000 apartments over the last 10 years. Kim's portfolio consists of being a GP on 3,200 units, Kim, thank you for joining us. And how are you today? Doing great. Thanks so much for the opportunity to join you. It's our pleasure. Kim, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure, absolutely. So um, started in real estate about 15 years ago with some single family houses and then moved into the multifamily space 10 years ago. So we've really just kind of grown organically through that time. Over time, we've now purchased 25 properties. We own 10 right now, so we've sold 15 of them over the course of that time. So taking a lot of transactions full cycle. At the moment, we primarily hold A and B properties in both Dallas-Fort Worth and in Houston. And I guess the thing that's pretty unique about our organization is kind of every time we can't find a vendor to do things that we need done in the way that we want them done, we have a tendency to go build a solution for that. And so um, we do have a materials import company and also an uh, interior construction renovation crew and a graphics design business and are working on some other things that are all just additional pieces to support the main mission of our property ownership. But then the rest of those businesses also do work for third parties as well. Just based on that, I've got a lot of questions. Okay. First one being, who is we? Who is we? 
I have an outstanding leadership team along with me. My husband works with me now. Um, he joined the company a few years ago. Natasha Austin, who is my COO, has been with me for seven years now. She is um, a lot of the magic to the success behind this. I've got Amanda that is outstanding with all of our investors and keeps them very well cared for and all of their questions answered have Heather relatively new to the team, but CFO that's helping with all of the different pieces of this. Cause in addition to the financials for the multifamily, we have all the other businesses as well. So that keeps her very busy. And then we have somebody that just recently joined us to head sort of as director of operations for the exist side of the business, which is where the materials imports and graphic design pieces come. And his name is Fran. He's actually from the UK, just recently got his green card and got to come work for us. Lots of others as well. So yeah, Kim, when you started single family rentals, was it your own capital you were using? On the single family rentals, yes, it was all my own capital. What was your first multifamily deal? The first multifamily deal was a 77 unit property called Spanish Chase in Irving. It was a 1970s built. So that was kind of the first adventure into multifamily. And that was about 10 years ago. Was that mm-hmm. your own money as well? Partially it was. I had one partner that I was working with at the time that had some funds in it as well. And then we had six passive investors. Do you remember the numbers on that deal? Or the oh, wow, it's been, a long, it's been a long time yeah, ago. 10 years. Um, but I think we bought it for about one, three, and then sold it for about three million or so afterwards. How um, many years did that take? About 15 months. So just interesting. A, okay, great not, returns. Not too long over a year. Yeah. So that was yeah. 138% in 15 months. It was a pretty nice way to start. And over your 10-year run of doing multifamily investments, what have you seen returns do? We've actually managed to stay relatively consistent. IRRs have gone down a little bit just because as we've gotten into larger and larger properties, it takes a little bit longer to get them repositioned. So we've had a few more things that we've been holding more in that three to four-year range as opposed to kind of two to three in the earlier days of things. It's definitely more challenging to get good returns now, but we still have been able to hit at least targets maybe not exceeding them by nearly as much as before. What's one of today's target IRRs? We're targeting at least high teens on our IRRs right now. I think we can exceed those probably because those are all based on a five-year hold. So if we are able to transact them sooner, I think that we'll have some good things. So we usually try to target a 2x multiple for our investors. And what do you see the impact of interest rates doing? It's been very interesting this first quarter as the interest rates have actually come to fruition in terms of some increases and seeing some of the cap rates, especially on newer properties that were kind of down at that same level as the interest rates and kind of watching what it's been doing to leverage. I haven't seen a whole lot change in terms of actual property pricing quite yet. I don't think people have figured out quite how all to work it, but a couple of things that we've been looking at, I know the interest rate increases have squeezed leverage a little bit to the point where there's a couple of things that we might have otherwise wanted to go after, but got to a pricing point that just didn't make sense for our investment criteria. Are you changing the way you underwrite your exit cap? I guess my exit caps now are definitely lower than they were years ago, but I still try to write in a decent bit of cap rate growth actually on my exits because they are just so historically low now. It varies obviously considerably based on age of the property and the area and submarket that it's in. But I do always look for that cap rate to be higher when I'm exiting than what I'm buying at. All right. So now we could dive into how you scale this business and how you just vertically integrate everything. So you started out doing a multifamily deal with a few passive investors. Can you walk us through that evolution of how you got to where you are today? Sure. We've always managed in-house from day one. So even on that 77 unit, the person that was with my partner at the time and I half the time were in one of the two bedroom units 
sitting on a couch with our laptops working through stuff. So obviously it was a smaller property. We had a great staff, a manager and a maintenance guy, but the manager, her skills were definitely in the leasing department and handling court and those sorts of pieces. But the financials were a little beyond what she was really used to dealing with. So a lot of the financial was me. We were running back and forth to Lowe's and Home Depot, getting parts for our renovation crew. One of the coolest stories about that one is we had one gentleman that had lived there pretty much since the property was built. So there was one day I was walking out to my car and I saw what looked like a roll of sod leaving in the back of a pickup truck. And then I realized it was actually the green shag carpeting had finally come out of unit 217. (laughs) So it was very hands-on at the beginning. So after we started that first property, we 1031'd into a 244-unit property. That one was really interesting. It was about 50% occupied when we bought it. It was out of a foreclosure. Everything that possibly could have gone wrong on that property had gone wrong. So it was about 50% occupied. It had one building that was basically uninhabitable, needed a lot of work. So we were fortunate that one of the people that we had met through a real estate group was a Chinese national. And so she and her husband went over with us to China to source flooring was the biggest thing that we were after because we knew we were going to need 200,000 square feet of flooring for that project alone. So also found some tile. We found some doorknobs that we ended up throwing away, $6,000 worth of doorknobs because they didn't reliably open doors. So the import thing is not always all it's cracked up to be in some, you know, you got to be willing to cut your losses when you have to. But so that's really kind of where that business started. And then when we got the third property, got a warehouse, started expanding that to sell it to some of our other friends, just other people in the business that wanted to buy some of those things. So really brought the construction crew back in house. I am sure that there are some GCs out there that can do a great job with interior renovations. I did not find them in my first four attempts. So every time I've tried to, oh, we're we're scaling really big. We probably need some outside help and it might be a little bit bigger than we can scale our crew to. Normally I end up regretting that decision. So for the most part, we don't do that too often anymore, but I'm sure there are some good groups out there somewhere. I have to stop you for a second. What was the motivation of sourcing your own flooring from China? Because back Um, then there was no supply chain issues. I mean, you could have gone and paid retail or wholesale for flooring. It did save a lot. So one of the other people in the industry now that is now an owner and and syndicator himself used to work for the lender that we had our first two properties financed through. So he had been reviewing some draw requests for a different person's loan. And we were just chatting one day and he goes, yeah, so I was just reviewing this and this guy imports some of the stuff directly and it was a whole lot cheaper. You should do that. So I guess... From that, we just started exploring and looking into it. And it really has made a huge difference in terms of what we're able to renovate for, which then enables us to tighten our underwriting a little bit, hopefully win some deals that we might not otherwise be able to win, and then provide some better returns on the back end as well, because we do pass through just at basic loaded cost, all those to our properties. So the investors get the benefit of those lower cost materials. I love your tenacity. Knowing how to source those products directly from the manufacturer, does that help you today with supply chain issues? It absolutely does. We've migrated a lot of the things out of China now into some other areas. We've got some flooring coming from South Korea. We've got some faucets from, I think, Cambodia is where those ended up moving to. Anyway, we have lots of different vendors in different countries now that have helped to mitigate some of the tariff issues. Shipping costs are still a very real thing. So there is a lot of the costs are just much, much higher now, but that is true. Kind of even if you source it from somewhere domestically, all of it's coming from overseas anyway. One of the things that was really cool a couple of years ago, my husband actually kind of works more on that side of the business. And so one of the things that he did is got a bunch of domestic supplier ships 
set up for us as well. So we are direct distributors for GE and Frigidaire and Train. So that definitely has helped mitigate the supply chain stuff. It does not mean that it's easy by any stretch of the imagination, but we, for the most part, have had appliances most of the time. And the refrigerators were a little bit dicey there for a little bit. And now you're resellers of all of this material as well. Yes. Okay. What do you say to those people that say, Kim, focus on one thing? My focus is always on the multifamily properties and the property ownership side and operating those well. But all of the rest of pieces support getting that goal done. So I think that's really the biggest piece. And, and I don't personally have my fingers in every single piece of it entirely, maybe a little bit more than, than some of the leadership team would like once in a while. But we have strong people that are each running kind of their own focused piece, but it all does play very well together. As far as all right. So I totally understand sourcing, flooring, appliances, but graphic design. Why did you bring that in-house? Well, we actually had a signage guy that we had used on many projects and he had decided to try to go out on his own. He left where he was working previously and tried to go out on his own and very quickly realized that he didn't really like QuickBooks and he liked the sales and he liked the design and he liked building the signs and that sort of thing, but didn't really like all of the business stuff that had to go along with it. So he came to us and was like, hey, Maybe I could just come work for you guys. You guys just bought a huge portfolio. That would probably be most of my work for the rest of the year anyway. And so that's kind of how that all started. So again, all all multifamily focused. So we have monument signs. You're a reseller of graphic Mm -hmm. design signs. So the big monument signs down to business cards, embroidered shirts, laser your name on a Yeti and all sorts of fun toys that that the guys at the warehouse really enjoy playing with. (laughs) That is incredible. How do you find your multifamily deals today? A lot of it, I would say, is through relationships and connections. Definitely, we have an outstanding acquisitions person that joined our team last fall, and it's been great because he's been in the industry for so long with Invesco and Clarion and, and bigger shops. So he knows a lot of these brokers and kind of grew up with a lot of them. So that's definitely helped us as we're especially going into new markets. But I think overall, especially in the DFW market, We've been here and we've always just performed and said what we were going to do and we're easy to work with for years and years. So we have great relationships with the brokers here in DFW. We get some things off market and we try to get things off market when we can, but there's a lot of things even that are marketed, but the relationships really does solidify the ability to get that deal awarded to us versus someone else. And Kim, how do you find those off market deals? Do you solicit them or do they come to you? For the most part, come to me. I have had certain properties that I've just wanted to target. And so I've kind of found out what broker has the relationship with that owner and try to kind of work some of it that way. Some of it gets brought to me by brokers. Then there's also others in the industry that I just know well. So we've transacted a couple of things with just people that I've met on various panels that we presented on or just through the business in general. We'll get back to the show. But first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Raising private capital on demand can be a major challenge, but you can get the knowledge and tools you need to succeed when you attend Dana Cornell's four-week Raise Capital Masterclass Live. After starting out with no capital or relationships, Dana has raised over $1 billion twice in the past 20 years, and he has made it his mission to share the best of what he's learned with business owners and investors like you. You can learn more at danacornell.com forward slash best ever. Dana's Raise Capital Masterclass Live allows you to immediately unlock and raise capital on demand, drastically increasing your business's growth, 
If you're ready to take your business to the next level, go to danacornell.com forward slash best ever to enroll today. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at passiveinvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. Passiveinvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Do you ever try to contact owners directly? We have tried it a time or two. We haven't been very successful with it. People try it with me a lot and that hasn't been very successful either. The, the times that I've tried to at least entertain an offer on it or let somebody take a look at it, it never has seemed to really go anywhere. So it, it isn't a primary focus right now. Could always so, change in the future, but. Yeah. So what is that? Is it just tire kickers? Is it wholesalers that are approaching you? So I definitely try to dodge the ones that are actual brokers. If it's a direct investor and, you know, and I can do some due diligence on them. Like I said, I've looked at it a time or two, but it never seems to really go anywhere. So I don't know if it's just sort of tire kickers or if they're wanting to find somebody that's just not paying attention and is asleep at the wheel and doesn't know the value of the asset that they have. But anyway, it just hasn't come through so far. You've been investing in multifamily for 10 years. What advice would you give a lot of the newer operators that are scaling or that are wanting to scale? I think the most important thing is to really pay attention to the fact that this is a people business and that the real estate business impacts so many people. So you have your investors that are kind of a constituency group that you really have to watch out for and pay attention to and make sure you're doing the right thing as a fiduciary for them. You also have your team, your onsite teams, your back office teams, everybody there that is also somebody that needs has to be kind of front of mind in terms of all of the decisions that you're making as you're leading and growing the business. And then also the residents. We often say we work in their homes, not they live in our office. So it's important to keep in mind that all of those are people that all of our decisions are impacting. And so I think if you really keep a focus on the people and the good that can be done, yes, it's definitely about profit, but I think there's ways that you can go about doing that, that make sure that you're aligned with your investors, that you're treating your employees well, that your residents are getting good customer service and a safe place to live and nice amenities and do what you can, you can kind of leave everything a better place than you found it. I love that mindset. How do you create that culture and how do you continue to cultivate it? Creating it, one of our core values is just heart. And that's one of the things, just who I am, I genuinely care about the people that are around me. I think that it is a people business. I think that this business isn't necessarily for the faint of heart, especially on the property management side. But even so, it's really important to keep in mind all of the lives that are getting touched by the decisions that you're making. So I think it takes a certain psyche to be able to take that very seriously as you should and also not have it completely crumble and break you because it's a lot of responsibility to have that many people that you're actually impacting. And so I think that's kind of really one of the biggest things. And then I guess, especially as far as how you keep it, you've got to hire right and you've got to get rid of people that destroy that culture. Culture is always a slippery thing. So you've got to make sure that you know what culture you're trying to cultivate, that you pay close attention to getting the right people in 
And then if you find out that you've got some wrong people in, making sure that that goes away quickly so that there isn't corruption of the rest of the team. All right. I'm going to throw a crazy scenario at you. You love being vertically integrated. What if you found an incredible 300 unit complex in Appleton, Wisconsin or Wichita, Kansas? How would you manage that? Because you're not going to be able to bring all your systems and people to those locations. We probably would not go into a market that we couldn't get scale in at this point in time. What if it's a killer deal and there's a great property management company? Okay. You accuse me of the hedgehog concept with my <laughs> vertical integration and whatever else. And I get that. So I think that's really kind of where we have kept focus is really on staying in markets that we are close to that we know well. So we were in DFW for a long time. We've now expanded into Houston, but that's local. We've got enough presence there that we actually have construction managers and regional managers, boots on the ground in Houston every day. It's close and easy to get to. And I think the biggest thing is too watching really what the various issues are with any particular city is very important as well, because there's definitely certain places where it could take six months to get an eviction. Parts of Illinois, it could take. A, I think it took my dad a year one time to evict somebody from a rental house that he had. So really watching what those things are. So I mean, I could do some research on the submarket, but probably I would either find that it was a, such a great deal and that there were other great deals there to be had and we'd expand into a new area or... There's lots of good deals out there. It's hard to find them, but there's lots of good deals out there. So I don't think I would do just one far, far away. That makes a lot of sense. So what's your advice to those operators that have those one-offs in different areas and they have a property management company manage all of their assets? I guess I would just watch the management company closely, make sure that you're really kind of digging through the financials, that you ask some questions and go visit sometimes so that you know that what you're hearing remotely is true. It's not a situation I've been in, so I don't know that I have any great advice about it, but I think that those are the things that we're able to do by being here locally that have made a big difference in the results that we've been able to achieve. And do you manage other people's properties as well or just your own? Just our own at this point. We've had conversations about it. Years ago, I actually had two small properties that I helped manage for a while when we just kind of had some extra staff and extra capacity and had some friends that were buying small properties. But basically, we've always just managed our own. We've considered it multiple times, but it would have to be really the right scenario. As I mentioned, the team is really, really important to me. So it would have to be an owner that was aligned well with us in terms of general philosophies and things because the team at their property would still be my employees. So they're still part of my team and I would want to make sure that they were still treated the same as the rest of the family is more or less and not. So anyway, I, you know, they're, we've considered it, haven't, yeah. haven't gone down it lately. So Kim, you've had an incredible 15 year run in this industry. What's been the toughest lesson that you've learned? Setting some boundaries and some personal break time. I think that's probably the biggest thing is just that if you run too hard for too long, you do lose some of your sharpness. So I think that's still always the hardest thing for me. I try, I try to like set some block time or I'm going to have a work from home day and just focus on the stuff I want to focus on, but it is easy to get those interrupted. So I think that's probably the biggest struggle is just making sure that with so many things going on that you do schedule some downtime, that you do get enough rest and take care of yourself as well. And what are some tips to stay disciplined in doing that? Cause it's so easy walking by your computer and checking your email, oh, this one I have to respond to. How do you stay disciplined? It's really hard. And I don't, I don't know that I'm the poster child for that discipline. But I guess one of the things that I did this spring, my husband and I just went on a week and a half long trip to Oman, which is the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, not too far from Dubai. 
So part of that was two different glamping sites, one in the desert where we were like driving sand dunes and stuff and then um, riding camels and then one was in the mountains. So for two times during that 10 days, there was a 48 hour period that I had no connection. So that was actually really kind of nice. It was, you know, it was sort of like a, a little bit of forced discipline to not connect and be present and really get to uh, enjoy the people that we were traveling with. And it gave a nice reset. I also find that any international flights really helped me reset as well. I know that they actually can buy Wi-Fi on them. When I started traveling internationally quite a bit for business, you couldn't. So I kind of got used to that. And that's kind of my rule on an international flight. I will not turn on Wi-Fi. It is 15 hours that nobody can bother me. And I'm going to read a book and I'm going to watch some movies and I'm going to sleep as long as I want to. And Get them to bring me food or drinks whenever I want and just kind of really enjoy that lack of availability. So when you talked about boundaries earlier, you meant physical boundaries, but you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't work. I get it. Sometimes. Awesome. <laughs> when the mental ones don't work, sometimes yeah. you need a physical reminder. Kim, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Best real estate investing advice ever. Um, really watch your numbers. You can figure out whatever your metrics are, but you got to make sure that you actually just stay true to them because your spreadsheet can give you any answer you want, but you've got to actually figure out how far you're willing to push things and stay consistent with that answer if you want to have the results that you're going to have. All right. Here's maybe a tough question. If you had to start all over and all you had was your knowledge, and I'm going to give you your network too. You have your knowledge and your network. How would you start all over today? Hmm. And you're in Appleton, Wisconsin. And I'm in Appleton, Wisconsin. You don't get to start in Texas. Okay. I would probably find the biggest landlord or person that owns multiple properties in Appleton, Wisconsin and the surrounding areas and see if I couldn't acquire sort of scale in one fell swoop. So I would probably find an operator that's much like myself now that maybe had been doing this a long time, is ready to retire, manages in-house, needs a good safe space for their staff to land, that sort of thing. So really kind of look for somebody that's looking to exit the business and have a capital event that could give us kind of scale in some location kind of all at once. And all you need to do that is your knowledge and your network. I would say so. Yeah. With the, yeah. Really with the network, because we could raise the funds to do it through a variety of sources and based on the track record and the knowledge that we have. But yeah, yeah, I already have great people. So I'd have to find quite a few properties all at once in order to keep all of the people that have, have helped me grow this working. I love so. it. And you didn't just say, I'll find a multifamily operator. You said I would find the largest landlord out there. So <laughs> I, I love that mindset. Kim, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right. Kim, what's the best ever book you recently read? One of my very favorites was from a couple of years ago, but is Leadership and Self-Deception. It's been pretty magical. I have all the employees read it because it really gets people out of their own head and gives them a different perspective on what is going on with everybody else and the relationships between people. What was your big takeaway from that book? That it's really easy to be in the box. Basically, we just build up in our head reasons for our own thing. So if we're upset about something or didn't get a promotion or whatever else, you're likely to go down the rabbit hole of all the things that horrible things that everybody else did to prevent you from getting what you wanted. When honestly, most of the time, if you just had an honest conversation with it, you would get some of the answers that you were looking for. So I think there's just been a lot of damage that people have done to themselves. And so I think it's important to just view everybody, each other as human and none of us are perfect all the time and really kind of keep that in mind. That is great advice. Kim, what's the best ever way you like to give back? We actually have a nonprofit that we started about a year and a half ago. We're currently doing some development for it. 
Martha's Ranch Foundation, which is for families impacted by autism. So really a place for the families get to get to go together to the ranch that we purchased and are working on developing to get some time away, be surrounded by other families that are in the same situation, get to exchange some ideas. We're trying to put in activities that will wear the kids out, but keep them in one safe location and various things across the property so that the parents can get a little bit of downtime as well and get some outdoor time, some away from electronics time as well. That is incredible. Kim, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Sure. You can reach out to us at invest at expg.com and Amanda monitors that. And so if it's for investment purposes, she can help you. And otherwise she's the perfect person to get you to whoever else can answer any questions you might have. Also, if anybody has properties and is looking for materials or any of the signage services, you can reach out to sales at existmf.com. Incredible. Kim, thank you so much for taking time out of your day, sharing a 15-year career with us, all of your experience, your knowledge. We learned you're not the poster child for being disciplined in downtime, but you're certainly the poster child for vertically integrating an incredible company. And thank you for sharing that with us today. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Best ever listeners, thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share the podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.